Welcome to Cancer Casually. I'm your host, Lindsay DeLong, and I'm the managing editor of The Fullest. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 33 when my boyfriend found a lump and made me go get it checked out. A year and a half later, I'm now cured, healthy, and can kind of talk about it all without crying. Each week, I interview inspiring survivors who have come out on the other side of cancer or who are still battling it. We'll talk about our lives before, during, and after cancer and share what we've learned so that our listeners can look at their own lives through a new perspective, whatever that may be. Here's not just how to live with cancer, but how to be there for someone and how to cope as a co-survivor because it's not just a disease that affects you, it affects everyone around you. With this podcast, we hope to inspire others to grasp life no matter what comes at you, and always live it to the fullest. Hi, thanks for listening today. I am with Audra Wilford, who is the Chief Hope Officer, which is really cute, of Orange County's Max Love Project. When her young son was diagnosed with brain cancer, she realized a need to use food as medicine and bring it to other parents and children who are going through the same thing. Today, Max Love Project's programs support families in all aspects of survivorship, from nutrition and research to education. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So um, tell us, like, what, I want to know your story, how, how you came up with this um, idea to create, and also, like, what is Max Love doing? You guys are involved in so much, so... Yeah, those are all really great questions. Yeah, <laughs> so, a lot. I mean, well, that will be basically the whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I can start at the beginning of our story and then it can sort of weave in. The interesting thing for us, because Maxwell Project is so organic and our development is really interwoven with Max's story. So I'll... So is Max your son? Max is my son. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yes. So when Max was four and a half years old, he was diagnosed with a brainstem glioma. It's a mixed grade brain tumor. This is growing in the brainstem and it grew out of the brainstem actually and into the cerebellum and filled this area in between the two parts of the brain called the fourth ventricle. So we were rushed into emergency brain surgery and that part that was coming out, they were able to, to remove in surgery, um, but they weren't able to touch anything in the brainstem or anything that was further in the cerebellum. So we left that surgery with uh, Max was intubated and unconscious and heading into meetings with oncology. Um, so I went from a typical day as a mom you know, wondering what was going on with my son. I thought he had an inner ear infection or something like that. I okay, had, so he had like no prior symptoms. Like he had he was prior just... symptoms, but they were all explained as yeah. sinus infection or one one thing or another. So he did have early morning headaches and vomiting. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking it up on WebMD, like we all do. Yeah. yeah. And the last bullet... <laughs> it's always cancer. It's always <laughs> right, cancer. Right? The last bullet point was could be signs of a brain tumor, you know, and like, I'm not going to be the mom to bring in this WebMD sh- printout yeah. for our pediatrician. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm already, you know, crazy enough when it comes to, you know, my firstborn child. So I just sort of like put that off to the side, you know, it certainly would not be that, but 
I, you know, I just didn't really understand either as the mom of a four and a half year old that it is not common. If your child has a sinus infection, they're not waking up at five in the morning, screaming in pain, throwing up for three hours and then passing out for three hours. Like that's not a normal response to a sinus infection. Yeah. But you don't know that, yeah, yeah. right? And your pediatrician says, well, it's just a sinus infection. It turns out that a good amount of kids diagnosed with brain tumors also have things like sinus infections. You know, they have various immune issues as well. Yeah. And so he did have a massive sinus infection. But we had those recurring symptoms for a number of months. He also got to the point where he wouldn't walk downstairs anymore. And then it got to the point where he fell down and couldn't get back up. Um, wow. We had some episodes where he was walking very much sideways and then would fall over. Uh, he, he wouldn't ride a scooter. He wouldn't ride a bike. I mean, there were many things that he couldn't do. So it turns out that, that when, when I got him in for that MRI, that first MRI, and I thought that they were going to tell me that he had a sinus infection, um, the anesthesiologist came out and you probably know this, this sort of scenario really well. And he, he was like, come on in, back in mom, you know, your son yeah. is recovering. You'll be able to see him right now. And so I start walking back with him and he said, but first come <gasps> over and sit down. Oh. And I was like, I have seen this yeah. on TV. There's no point when this is ever good. Yeah, right? yeah. And so he said, I, I have to tell you that your son has a life threatening condition. He has water on the brain is what oh. we call it. It's hydrocephalus. And um, we have an ambulance waiting for you. You're going to be going to the children's hospital um, for immediate care. So I walk into the, the recovery room and they're, all the nurses were in the room. They brought in a chaplain. They're having me sign all these forms. And I just remember having to suck up everything just to have a really strong, positive face for my son. Yeah. And I talked to our pediatrician on the phone at that point and he said, your son has a brain tumor and oh. his brain is hemorrhaging. You have to have, he has to have emergency surgery. So you have to go now, but you have the best neurosurgeon. One of the best in the country is waiting for him and you'll be able to see him immediately. So how did you like keep it together? I did didn't. I got in the ambulance and I just started bawling and uh -huh. I, I, uh, that, I'll never forget the EMT, you know, handed me uh, just a box of tissues oh. and Max was in the back with, I think three beautiful nurses and he was fine. He was totally fine, but I was bawling and I texted my husband at the, who's teaching um, a college course at the time. And I just said, brain tumor, oh, come to hospital. Gosh. <laughs> um, Max's little sister was 16 months old at the time. So we, so Max is the oldest. He's the oldest. Okay. Yeah. So we handed her off to friends who took beautiful care of her and then just headed down that path of being in the hospital that first four weeks was mostly in the ICU recovering from that first brain surgery and then gearing up for uh for treatment gearing up for chemotherapy and our neurosurgeon said something really important to us on the third day he's and I think it was a huge gift to us and I don't know how many people diagnosed with cancer children or adults hear this but I think more people need to need to hear it because I think it's a really important shift that we need to make in healthcare. We were told that, and I think because of the type of tumor Max has, how you know pervasive and, and advanced it was, we were told that, he said, treatment would only do so much to increase Max's quantity of life. And at some point it was going to compromise his quality of life. 
And he said, I'm asking you to agree with me. We will stop at that point. As soon as quality of life is compromised, let's stop. Yeah. And it was just, I think it's a really important thing to hear, frankly, from the beginning, what's our priority here? What is our biggest goal? Yeah. Because that effort to to focus on quantity not only compromises quality, but then also compromises quantity just in the in in the the way that I mean, it's a calculation that everybody individually needs to make and to mm-hmm. figure out. But we are given permission to be in that space, which I think was really important. Yeah. So what I heard in that was, all right, there are things I can do to help my son. I am empowered. This is fantastic. Yeah. How do I what do I do? I get him acupuncture. You know, we're sitting here in a clinic right now today as we're having this conversation in a traditional Chinese medicine clinic that we, Maxa Project, um, we share this clinic because of the power of that. Our doctor of Chinese medicine here, Ruth McCarty, is our neurosurgeon's wife. Okay. He already knew there were things that we could do. I think that's a part of the power of it, that this um, physician is empowered to have something to offer families, which I think is really important. Yeah. So he knew the power and the value of it. And then I thought, all right, do I need to get kale in him? What do I need to do yeah. on his diet? Like, what do we need to do for his recovery and physical activity and sleep? Like, what are the other things we need to do? So someone sent us the book, Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life. Have you seen that book? No, I haven't. Um, David Servan Schreiber wrote this book and it's a whole nother story, but he was a, an amazing physician who brought Doctors Without Borders to the US. Okay. And in the middle of his own study he was conducting, he diagnosed himself with a brain tumor and then went through life as normal, resection treatment, all of that. And his doctor said, just do what you always do. Don't even worry about it. He relapsed, recurred. And at that point said, it's not making sense that I just do the same thing. Yeah. Like, it seems like I need to change my environment to maybe change the course of action. So it's all about quality of life and making changes to your lifestyle. Yeah. It's, it's good to be proactive. And I mean, I right? feel like so many times when people are diagnosed with that, they're just like, do whatever the doctor tells them to do. And if the doctor doesn't tell right. them to change their diet or change certain things they're doing, they're just going to keep doing exactly what they were doing. Absolutely. That's what I did. <laughs> but right? I mean, I should, I, 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 um, I, I'm changing my way of eating now and stuff, but that's so proactive of you. And like, we were given permission. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Because you are in the throes of this. You have to trust somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, like, I felt like it was our lifeline. We heard from people left and right. Don't trust your doctor. Never trust your doctor. You know, uh, we heard things like, don't do anything else. Just trust, you know, standard yeah. of care to don't do standard of care. You're killing your kid doing chemo. And we are standing in the middle of this as parents responsible for the life of another human being. Right. So that's a whole nother layer. Like mm-hmm. I have to take responsibility for this person. If I choose to feed him only carrot juice, it's on me. Yeah. Right. So that's a unique perspective as a parent, because you have to take whatever is evidence based to help. That's what, how we felt. And we, we felt like standard of care has a powerful base of evidence, just like these complementary therapies do as well. So we want to do everything that is based in evidence to help our kid. And we'll leave everything behind that doesn't really have good, you know, research behind it. Yeah. But we're going to do everything that we can. And, and take it was, it was a very ethical stance, too, because it's like I'm responsible for a person. Mm-hmm. If it was just me, I probably would have tried a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, but in any case, that was our stance was we're going to focus on his quality of life. What can we do to help him thrive and be well going through this process and help him recover 
and just be as strong as he can and live the best life, the best days that he possibly can. And that was the gift we were given from the very beginning of this journey. Yeah, that's great, that doctor. I love him. Right? That's really good. He's, he's yeah. really wonderful. Because it's such a whirlwind and you don't even, like, you can't think about anything. And so that's great that you were given that right away to, like, be like, there is other things you can do yep. to help. So, we were given permission and that in turn really gave us confidence in mm -hmm. our care because we were told. The second thing he told me was to get it together, get a <laughs> notebook, <laughs> write down everything he says and everything everyone else says. And he said, you are your child's best advocate. He's your only case. All of us have tons of cases we're working on. You are responsible for him. You're going to be the one to be his best advocate. So step up yeah. into it second kernel of great advice. <laughs> <laughs> and then also how wonderful it is for your doctor to say, I need, we need you uh -huh. to, to take on this role. Yeah. Um, because very often you hear, there's nothing for you to do. We've got it covered. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like the team based approach is what's most beneficial. Yeah, exactly. So for Max going through that, we started to I think, it, I think we changed his diet right when he got out of the hospital because it was too hard to do it in the hospital at that point. But, you know, we started to change his diet and do everything that we could do to help him. And he was getting physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, chemotherapy, acupuncture, you know, so he was going to, you know, 12, 14 appointments a week. Oh my God. And Did I Did you had, have a job at the time? Yes. Or? And so I was at a, an administrator at a college mm -hmm. and- I was so fortunate that all of my colleagues came together from the groundskeepers to the president of the college Aww. and they donated their sick and vacation time to Aww. me. So they gave me a year's worth of time. Wow. And that was such a powerful, powerful thing that I also felt like we've got to pay this forward. Yeah. So as Max started doing really well, we started to see opportunities to give back. And so Maxwell Project was really born in that space of a service opportunity between Max and I. Mm -hmm. um, Max... When you have a kid in the hospital for that long and going through that, they start to get a lot of gifts oh, and yeah. they can kind of become a little spoiled. You know, you see someone walk into the hospital room and you say, what do you have for me? Oh <laughs> you know? my gosh, that's so, so funny. I was determined not to have that define his experience. So I said, we got to give back in some way. So we did have a powerful experience back at home. As soon as we got home, Max couldn't walk. He was back in diapers. Um, it was really a debilitating process and one where, you know, he's partially paralyzed and wow. very, very fearful. And so he was so afraid of the dark. I went and bought him this nightlight and it's a turtle kind of plush on the bottom with a hard shell and these stars come out of it. Oh. And as soon as he was diagnosed, like that first night, he called the hospital, the hotel. And he's like, why are we in this hotel? <laughs> and I told him, sweetie, these bad guys, they're little tiny microscopic bad guys, they're cells. And they were normal brain cells, but they turned into bad guy cells because that happens to a lot of us. And your brain is such an awesome place. They built a fort in the brain oh, you, and you there's the a ninja. Best. I'm like, what do you tell a four and a half year old? You know, um, I said, this ninja is going to come in and he's going to take out the bad guys and we're going to heal. It's going to, it's, it's going to be great. You're going to be fine. Um, that transition to the ninja couldn't get out all of the bad guys. They went like deeper, deeper in, but you have good guys and you have superpower medicine that you're going to take. And 
we believe in the in green superpowers. You're going to eat a lot of green foods and everything that can really help fight the bad guys. We're going to help you fight the bad guys. It was a really powerful learning experience for me because what do you say to a child in the situation? And, and it, I think it goes for adults too because you're faced with the dominant narrative of cancer, which I think we sometimes automatically, it's just what's been available to us. It's what we've seen in, in our friends and loved ones. You know, it's what's put out there in the media. And we don't realize we can choose a story that serves us. And it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. Totally different story. I've heard people argue about whether or not a fight narrative is good or whatever it might be. Listen, four and a half year old kid likes to fight back. Yeah, guys. that's, that's good what's going to register for him. Right? It might not be good for someone yeah. else. That's totally fine. You and know? if it's a little girl, maybe it could be a little like... Bad ballerinas. Like, right. I like the alliteration the in that. Trip. <laughs> yeah. But right. Whatever, whatever works, right? And we found what works, what worked for him. So when we had come home from the hospital then and he had this turtle, he flipped it on to the green color and the green, and so the stars were projecting on his ceiling. And he goes, Look, mommy, those are healing stars. Oh. That's the, his healing color. And he took that turtle. And he raised it over his head, put it on the back of his head where he had the fresh, huge, I mean, I don't know how many it's inches long that that is. It was like, I don't know, 12. I mean, a huge scar. And he said, look, mommy, I'm healing. Oh. And it was the first time he had done something for himself. It's the first thing, time that he had done some, something self-empowering. And he could control that. He decided on when that needed to go on and how he wanted to use it. So I wrote to that company and I said... I'd love to get these wholesale. I, I want to give them to hospitalized kids. Um, this is this is what our experience has been. Yeah. Would you help us with that? And the company, Cloud B, wrote back and said, we'll actually give them to you. Oh. So I thought, oh, my gosh, they're going to give them to us. That's incredible. We need to have a nonprofit because they're going to want a receipt. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I gathered some of my friends together and, and said, hey, will you be on our board? It's going to be no big deal. Um, you won't ever have to do anything. We're just going to send these Twilight Turtles out to kids around the country, maybe even around the world. And and it's just going to be really simple. Just Max and I yeah. doing this. And they had no idea, obviously, that it would become something so much bigger than that. But that's what it was at the beginning. And it was really Max and I connecting with families on Facebook, sending this Twilight Turtle out to other kids with a little note in it. And Max really learning about giving back. Yeah. And that power of, of really being therapeutically self-empowered, right? Um, and then, so we built this community of families who were receiving these therapeutic nightlights. And then the conversation started like, how is Max doing so well? What are you cooking? What, are, you know, all of the questions started. And my husband and I thought, well, there's an opportunity here. We're educators yeah. in, in training and we should share what we're going through in a more constructive way to help others. Yeah. And so we just started putting together educational materials and resources and an online support group. And I started offering cooking classes in the community, just showing what we were going through. And I thought if I could have a family start 10 steps ahead of me, that would be incredible because I learned so much in that process of just modifying Max's diet. You yeah. know, the, the place we first started was whole foods, high fiber, um, if we used any grains, they were heritage grains and we didn't use any added sugars. So I did a lot of 
deep dives. You know, at one point I thought agave was great. And then I was like, agave is basically high fructose corn syrup. There was four months of time in between that. I don't want any other mom to have to go through that four months that I went through. Yeah. Right. So were you already kind of like, I know you have, you've always kind of been a cook. Um, yes. So was it um, you just educating yourself on what specifically would be good to give a kid that has cancer? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I was, I was trained in culinary arts and I worked as a cook professionally for a number of years. And then I went back to school to become an educator and I became a leadership educator. Okay. And uh, my husband, Justin, always said, it's going to make sense one day while you've done all these different things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the sort of thing. It was like, oh, okay. Now I can incorporate all these skill sets together. Nice. And I think what really got me super passionate about the space that we call culinary medicine now is that I was cooking for Max, because I had the skills to cook, mm-hmm. you know, I had the skills to experiment, to really learn about um, why something was working and not working. So I'd hear a lot from other families that recipe doesn't work. And in the culinary space, it's a little bit, the process is a little bit different. It's why didn't the recipe work? I can identify what went wrong and how to fix it. And as we have less and less culinary literacy in our homes today than we've ever had before, we don't have culinary programming in the schools anymore. We're not doing any of that education. And if it's not passed Why, down in your so family, important. isn't that crazy? Yeah. That seems like that would be like it's one a of major the most life important skill, right? things. Yeah. It's, it's these life skills that we have kind of eradicated from our educational system that I think we're starting to see come back. Like the pendulum is, is shifting, I think, mm-hmm. because so many people have a hard time, don't know how to cook, don't know how to do laundry or, you know, kind of yeah. the basic things. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to enhance our quality of life overall, it's the one thing that I took from culinary school was my life is better because I know how to cook. And mm-hmm. that transitioned into, I'm uniquely equipped to really help my son through this because I'm able to experiment and to learn and to learn about nutrition where it meets cooking in a unique way. Um, and I felt like that was something that I could I could offer in the space of need. So offering the cooking classes became that experiential, all right, we've been playing around with these recipes. This is how I modified it. And I'd love to get these moms together to help them do the same thing. And were you got, were you doing the cooking classes or are you doing the cooking classes like in or around Orange County? Or are you like going across, like what's the, what are you doing and what is the plan eventually? Yeah, yeah, great question. So we started the cooking classes here in Orange County in the community at various teaching kitchens okay. around wherever we could get a space. We would bring families together and do that. And our dream was actually to build a teaching kitchen in our local hospital here, Children's oh, that's Hospital of Orange idea. County. Chalk? Yeah. yeah. And we thought, you know, how, how incredible would that be to have a teaching kitchen in the hospital? Yeah, that and should be in every hospital. It should be in every hospital, yeah. right? So that concept was actually transformed. And with the collaboration of the clinical nutrition team at Chalk Children's, we brought in a mobile teaching kitchen. Okay. And now we have a mobile teaching kitchen at three going on four children's hospitals. Awesome. And we are collaborating with these hospitals and also the University of Arizona's Department of Nutrition on building our own unique curriculum to deliver in the hospital. And so delivering these cooking classes in the hospital is a totally different situation than in the community. Yeah. You have, you have a, a, lot of opportunities and just challenges to overcome with the hospital setting, but we are learning how to address all of that. So soon enough, I would, it's my dream to see 
these these mobile teaching kitchens in our culinary medicine program in every children's hospital in the country. Wow. So there's just over 20, I think it's just under 25, maybe it's 24 freestanding children's hospitals in the U.S. Okay. So And how many in Southern California? Freestanding children's hospitals, three. Okay. So it's my dream that in the next 10 years, we'd have one of these in every single freestanding children's hospital and then be making headway yeah. into the um, the re- the other 200 or so um, children's hospitals that are associated with adult hospitals. Mm-hmm. It is also my dream to see this as just a part of care for both adults and children. Yeah, adults need it too. Adults need it too. And that's one of the big things I've learned in, in that we do serve the pediatric cancer community, but we are approached by adults on a weekly basis. I work with adults on, on a weekly basis, just sharing resources. Our resources are all um, open to be shared. And what I found is that the adult community has just as little support yeah. as the pediatric cancer community when it comes to things like nutrition, culinary medicine, preventive health behaviors, things like that, just as little support. And that's, we're going, I mean, I think I, I, I read that within the next 10 years, or is it five years that we'll have 20 million cancer survivors in the U.S.? Wow. And if you're a cancer survivor, you're most at risk for cancer out, yeah. out of anyone else, right? And yeah. so the needs are tremendous. And for most people, you end treatment and they just say, well, come on back for screening. I know. And you say, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I what's next? Like, Should I like change my diet? Should I stop drinking <laughs> wine? They're like, ah, just do whatever you want. Like, don't eat candy. We're like, okay. <laughs> right, right. It's just not helpful, right? Yeah. It's, it's difficult. I was like, I will do whatever. At, at that, When I first got sick, I was like, I'm never going to eat pizza. I'm never going to eat another piece of candy ever. And then they're like, it doesn't matter. Be like, be happy. Well, okay. Yeah, there's a middle ground there somewhere. Yeah, I know. There, right? yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that's the hard part. You know, you want to feel feel empowered coming out of this, and so that was a ma- that's been a major motivation for us. So transitioning from we started seven and a half years ago and transitioned from a very very tiny grassroots community based nonprofit organization to now we serve over uh, thirteen hundred families wow. in five countries. We've in various programs and with some of our materials, we've touched lives of well over 20,000 families wow. in, in those years. But we're, we have a really vigorous online support program. And that's really exciting. We have, uh, we have a, a Be Super Action Plan, which is really our integrative health uh, wheel of thrivership. Mm-hmm. That kind of nutrition is just one part of it. Yeah. And so we so do a lot of... That's really um, important. So what do you do with that? Like, what, how do you help? I think that it is really important, mm-hmm. right? Because nutrition, uh, I mean, you could be working really hard on your n- nutrition and you could be stressed out and overwhelmed and not sleeping, right? Not getting any physical activity. I don't know that that's going to really help. You yeah, know, yeah. you can negate the positive benefits of your nutrition yeah. by having, you know, kind of difficult lifestyle challenges everywhere else. So for us and our, we call it our Be Super Action Plan, and it's a seven point wellness wheel, and it's an acronym. Um, the B super is an acronym. So we start with boost yourself with super thoughts. And that's that mindset part of it. What's the story that you want to tell here? What serves you? What's, what's your narrative? We have a really great 
a doodle coloring book for kids that does contain some of those stories in it to help kids make their own super story yeah out of it we think creating that narrative for yourself is really important positive Uh, thinking too right absolutely and the eat is for um our fierce foods approach and our fierce foods approach is really it's whole foods based nutrition it's focusing on uh, learning how to utilize whole foods as whole as possible. It's not any, it's not a specific dietary named strategy at all. And we call it fierce because who likes the term healthy? Nobody, you know, <laughs> like even for us, you know, we know a thing or two. And if I have a friend who's like, you want to go to that really healthy place? Yeah. You know, uh, exactly. go out tonight, go to that healthy place. Like, uh, even though I love I love kale. Yeah. I don't want to go to that really. It just doesn't. It's it's a visceral thing, right? Yeah. You know? but especially for a kid, like healthy right. could just pretty much just be like disgusting. Like right. they it don't does want not have a positive healthy. connotation yeah. at all. <laughs> and I think what one of my friends who's a dietitian told me something I thought was really, really cool. She's like, you can be healthy. Your food's not healthy. Your food's either nutritious or not. Yeah. But it's not healthy or not, you know? So we thought, all right. Fierce gives that gives you that idea of what foods empower you to be strong. What's good fuel for your body? And for us, it's it's really as close to whole foods based nutrition as we can get and as far away from processed foods as we can mm-hmm. get. We do not argue about um, a lot of the other things that are common in the food space right now about meat and dairy and things like that if you don't eat meat that's fine yeah we just try to help you not to eat pop tarts and you know <laughs> focus on making that a very nutrient dense you know um platform for yourself to fit your own unique needs and you do eat meat that's fine we help you find you know what works for you and that's the most nutrient dense for your own personal needs you know yeah. we believe highly in, in bioindividuality so there's no one size fits all approach to nutrition at all that doesn't sell books, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, the only thing that sells books is like the one way, you know, everybody yeah. got one way that you, that you should yeah, eat. Yeah, and yeah. We don't believe in that at all. So my son has been on a therapeutic ketogenic diet. And that has, uh, we believe, fully has saved his life. And we've seen it because every time we've taken him off, he has gotten progression of disease. Oh, okay. And so we've gone back and forth and it's just very clear for him. Yeah. How old is he now? He's 12 now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty amazing. So eight years. It, it's like, incredible. Amazing. Right? Yeah. And so we help families who do feel the need to go on that path. We honestly dissuade more families from it than we persuade them to do it. Um, just in terms of, there's a lot of talk around uh, about keto, you know, publicly. Yeah. And yeah. usually it's not the therapeutic version that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that the sort of intervention that that max has had but for most everyone you know we talk about just keeping blood sugar nice and low and stable and and making sure we're not producing too much insulin yeah and lowering inflammation just really kind of empowering and strengthening the body and helping people figure out how they can best do that for themselves and their family um we focus on sleep You've probably been hearing a lot about the science of sleep. Yeah. Pretty powerful stuff. So we have, you know, starting with that twilight turtle that way back when we were trying to help Max get better sleep. We've learned so much. Do you still have the twilight turtle? Actually, we have what, if you can see it right up there, that's a version of it that the company made with us. 
Oh, cute. So we're looking at a version of it right now called Supermax the Turtle. Awesome. And you can get that at cloudbee.com. It's pretty awesome. And $1 from the sale of that supports Max Love. Oh. That was actually made for the hospital, so it can be sanitized, and it's it's easy to transport. Yeah. What does Max think of all this now? He's 12, and he has, like... You know, he's 12 and kind of over it, right? Oh, he doesn't yeah. want He doesn't <laughs> want anyone to call him Supermax or... Or whatever. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. Oh my gosh. Live when so he is was that him? Him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. When he was seven. He had just turned seven. And I asked him, I said, you know, you were on national TV with millions of people. He was like the cover of Hulu for a while. You know, wow. things like that. You know, there's a lot of press around it because Jimmy was so sweet and kind and came to tears during this episode when Max was on. And so it got a lot of press and a lot of attention. And I said, Max, what what was that like for you? I mean, you had the, you had the strength to go out there on national TV without me. And he was like, I was so young. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't know any better at that point. (laughs) What did they Um, talk about? Like, it was so, it was so great. They, uh, they had, I don't know if you remember this trend from years ago, but it was rainbow looming and it's taking these rubber bands and making them into bracelets. Jimmy asked for submissions from kids around the world to make the suit of the loom. And, and so we, we wrote into, into him saying, give your extra looms to us because Max was looming from the hospital at the time and had his own campaign to make the largest chain in the world. Oh. And so kids were sending us looms from around the world. And apparently how it went down was that Max's school, every single kid wrote a letter to Jimmy Kimmel Live. They received this huge box of letters from kids and were so moved by it. Then a fifth grade class made a video and it was so moving that the show called the school and said, we really want to have this kid on, on the show. So that it just went yeah. from there, which was highly unusual at that point in time for, for, you know, late night television, yeah, have yeah. a little kid on the show. Yeah. That's but an Ellen thing. That's an Ellen but thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So it was really courageous of, of the show, I feel like. And then they auctioned off the suit on eBay and donated the money to Maxwell Project. Oh, how cool. And so at that point, Maxwell Project was only a couple of years old mm-hmm. and we were still getting off the ground. I was still working full-time in my full-time day job. Yeah. And about four years into it, um, our board came together and we said, we're either going to have to shut it down or hire me full-time. So we got it together to hire me full-time. So I've been doing it full-time for three years now, growing the organization and we've really grown our impact significantly. So that be super action plan that we're talking about. We had sleep, physical activity is one of them. Mm-hmm. We have a mindfulness component. And then we also focus on community. One thing that's really incredible to learn is that social support is truly therapeutic. That yeah, there it are is. positive health benefits to come from uh, therapeutic social support. So we do a lot of work in that area. And then we also talk about uh, just creating a healthier home. Um, so refresh your super surroundings and that's things like house plants and honestly taking your shoes off at the door. Yeah. Oh, I have yeah. no idea. You know, I've, I've seen, I've had friends like, well, you need to get rid of the carpet and this, and that, the other. We, we like a lot of people in Southern California rent a house. We cannot afford to put in some crazy water filtration system and, and, you know, take out our flooring and yeah. cover our wires and whatever. 
but we can take our shoes off at the door. Oh, yeah. Uh, if someone doesn't, I'm always like, <laughs> like, it just, oh, I have to have them take their shoes off or I have to vacuum everything. Yeah, it's powerful to learn yeah. that there are easy things that we can do. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's a big thing for us too. along that, that wheel, our um, wheel, wellness wheel, what we call the path to daily thriving. They're all small, actionable steps. So we don't advocate for big steps or, or overhauling anything or doing anything all at once or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's all smaller steps that you can take um, that don't cost a lot of money. Yeah. You know, we're not focused on things that are um, huge that are going to require a big change in the yeah. budget. Eating differently will often be more expensive, but we try to find ways to help families um, lower those costs by using the more you use of an actual whole food, the less expensive it can be. Mm -hmm. um, we also do not focus just on, you know, organic foods. If that's something that serves you and you have a good source for that and you can afford it, then great. But if you can't, it's more important to be utilizing whole foods than not. Yeah. So yeah. wherever it is that you can get it from, we you know, teach you how to wash it and use it and, and, you know, be empowered by that. Yeah. So you help so like so many, I love that. It's not just like one genre that you're helping. You're helping like so many people that have been affected by cancer and in any way, even adults, children. Yep. That's awesome. In different ways. And, and for us, we found that some families come into the journey and nutrition is not what they can focus on. Mm -hmm. You know, they're living with grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa insist on giving apple juice and cookies to the kids and it's a huge <laughs> battle and they can't do anything about it but they found that they can get the kids to bed earlier at night and that like caregivers can start to do um you know a meditation app or whatever it might be to help them and so it, it's about what serves you in the time of starting to fulfill your health goals and not everyone has the same starting point mm -hmm. exactly so it's acknowledging that too it's not just about one of those points they're all really interdependent we yeah. feel like so um how can people find you on your website and how are um our social media or like how how are you accessible yeah yeah they can find us at maxloveproject.org okay. and then we are on facebook instagram at maxloveproject we are also on Twitter at Maxler Project. I will tell you, however, we are terrible at maintaining <laughs> yeah. our Twitter account. It's like an automatic feed from Facebook or whatever. So we're not really great. At, we have to find somebody who will help us with that. Yeah. Um, and we're really not good at LinkedIn. But we are definitely <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook. I feel and like Maxler Instagram's Project. the most important one. That's what right? everyone's on. These I think so days. too. It's like yeah. we're kind of everyone comes together at this yeah, point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank that was you. so nice to talk to you. And um, I'm so glad to hear that Max is doing well and he's 12 thank and he, he just is loving life, but not loving being called Super Max. How <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Growing up. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Bye.